Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors just like you about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and I am joined here with my co-host, David Partain. Hello, David. Hello, Laura. Well, it's four degrees outside, and so that's as beautiful as I think we're going to get today. (laughs) The sun is shining. That's right. So, yeah, I'm really excited uh, about today. We're going to focus on environmental, social, and governance investing, also known as ESG or sustainable investing, with one of the industry's foremost subject matter experts, John Hale. John has been one of Barron's 20 most influential people in ESG investing. He's also been named as the top 10 leaders of ESG and impact investing by Investment News. And so our conversation today is part of our larger series of discussions that we've been having about sustainable investing. Uh, Through these conversations, we're we're focused on tackling tough questions with advisors and industry experts like John. Our goal for our listeners and for us is that we come away from each of these conversations with a deeper understanding about what's driving advisors to embrace sustainability or ESG investing, while other advisors continue to shy away from it. Is ESG the future of investing or a passing fad? There are a lot of disagreements out there on that comment. And we want to understand how advisors are addressing ESG investing with their clients, if they are at all. And when they do, what are the reactions that clients have in those conversations? We also want to learn whether or not clients are proactively asking about sustainable investing and what that looks and sounds like. And given the regulatory spotlight on this really important topic, I want to be clear that FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds offers some ESG-focused ETFs, but not all FlexShares products have an ESG focus. We won't be talking about any specific ESG investments, FlexShares or otherwise, in any of these sustainable episodes. We remain committed to ensuring that the Flexible Advisor podcast is product agnostic, and it's meant to share best practices about how advisors can add value for their clients and offer insights and ideas to help you grow your advisory businesses. And with all of that out of the way, I'm thrilled to welcome John Hale to the show today. John focuses on ESG thought leadership and product strategy for Morningstar. Prior to 2021, John was Morningstar's head of sustainable investing research. He directed the company's research initiatives on sustainable investing, beginning with the launch of the Morningstar Sustainability Rating for Funds, which came out in 2016. John, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Excited to be here. So, John, you and I have known each other for several years, and I've always respected your opinion and appreciated your approach. And recently, the Wall Street Journal wrote a series of articles, and they actually critiqued the merits of sustainable investing. 
And I remember reading you, the rebuttal that you wrote, and it was titled, What the Wall Street Journal Misses About Sustainable Investing. And I, as I was reading it, the first statement you make is that sustainable investing isn't a craze, as the article suggested, and that sustainable advisors are not naive. So as you know, the Flexible Advisor podcast is a financial advisor-focused podcast. So I'd like to dive into some of the key items that you think of the journalists got wrong. But first, I want to rewind and I'd like to ask you about what you think the impact of that series of articles potentially had on financial advisors and the clients they serve. Do you think it will set the adoption of sustainable investing back? Um, well, I don't think so. I, I, I... I guess I would say this, sustainable investing is a contested concept, right? Mm -hmm. it, it challenges a lot of uh, established conceptions about uh, both the investment world and, and about how corporations are run, the role of investors in corporate governance. I think that uh, financial advisors and, and clients that read the Wall Street Journal uh, could have been uh, negatively affected uh, by the series, but uh, I guess my reaction to it was really that in this day and age, um, who who reads the Wall Street Journal or only the Wall Street Journal anymore for their financial and business and economic and political news and views? I mean, I'm older, so I tend to to, to read it these days. I think uh, so many younger folks read such a variety of news. It's probably served up to them uh, through Apple News or any or, mm -hmm. or those type types of things. So. Um, you're not, not too worried about it as being like uh, the, the, the uh, final word on this, the way I might have been 20 years ago. Yeah, good point. Um, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, so I don't know. I, I think we've seen with the success of sustainable investing in the past couple of years, I think we have seen um, a good deal of, uh, of criticism of it from Kind of both uh, sides, uh, from from I, I I would say the the more like conventional investing side, saying you know what, let's stick to the the way we've invested uh, in the past. It's it's you know we we're we're not really that comfortable, uh, you know, reach uh, stretching out and expanding into these other areas or this idea of sustainability or of stakeholder capitalism or things like that. Let's let's just Let's just keep our focus on traditional investing, um, and uh, that that was you know basically where the Wall Street Journal comes was coming from in in this in this set of uh, articles. But you know at the same time uh, coming, I think from kind of the other side of the spectrum is like, well, geez, sustainable investing isn't really going far enough. It's not focused enough on uh, trying to uh, make impact and and help uh, change the system to make it. Uh, Work better for all stakeholders, uh, and, and uh, to to help deal with uh, the big issue of climate change. So, um, you know, anytime something's out there, that's why I, I don't think it's a craze. I think it is here to say. Anytime something uh, gets this uh, uh, much attention from uh, across the the spectrum, so to speak, it's uh, it's it's probably something that's pretty significant. You know, one, one of the key points that you made in, in your rebuttal is that we're witnessing people as workers and people as consumers um, that are holding businesses to higher standards. So why wouldn't we think that people as investors uh, would do the same thing? And the journalist suggests that it's 
simpler and probably more effective to just tax or regulate the things as we that we as a society agree are bad and subsidize the things that we all think are good. Um, he doesn't believe that the investment community really should be responsible for it, as he puts it, um, vainly trying to direct the flow of money to the right cause causes. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, if you'd share with us the parts of that argument with which you disagree and and you know, the first part is really interesting because it's it's clear that um, more people in the world today, I think, are concerned about let's just call them sustainability issues of various sorts. This idea of how do decisions that are made um, affect uh, not just the 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 individual decision maker, but the, all the stakeholders that could be affected by it both now and in the future. And that's, that's kind of what sustainable uh, decision-making is, is about is that broad recognition of, of a broader uh, implications of, of decisions and that people um, when they make consumer decisions um, are more and more often applying those kind of sustainability concerns to their decision um, the uh, people certainly in making their career decisions and, and uh, d- determining what kind of an employer they want to work for are doing the same thing. I mean, we, we see this and I've seen it for quite a while um, in, in surveys and, 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 and what people are telling us. And so to me, it's just, yeah, it's simply no surprise that people as investors are going to want to start doing the same thing. It came a little bit after those first two elements, but um, I think it's still there. And it's really the, to me, the, the basic, uh, you know, uh, basic reason why we're seeing this, this growth in sustainable investing is because this is just where people are these days uh, on these issues. And, and I guess the thing I would underscore there is that when somebody's, you know, buying a, a consumer good, it's not like sustainability is the reason that you're doing it. You know, you want to buy the good because it's offering some, you know, sort of uh, utilitarian benefit that you're going to get from that, from purchasing that good. Um, all things equal, what you're doing is saying, well, um, I, I want to you know, I want to buy the, the more sustainable version of this. I think it's, you know, better for the world. I want to do my part. And uh, I think that's the best way to look at sustainable investing is that it's investing first. It's not activism. It's not some kind of cause as though, as the as the uh, journal uh, sort of tried to imply. It's, it's really um, about uh, saying, yes, I, I want an investment that's going to help me reach my financial goals. Um, but uh, I'd like to choose the more sustainable version, please. And and I think it's there's a you know definite uh, parallel between that and um, consumer decision making as far as this idea that well to try to make a difference in the world you should either uh, you, you should just focus on uh, uh, politics um, uh, or and I'm not sure I can't remember if they said this or not in the articles but the other idea that you often hear is just well, if you can give away money, you can be a philanthropist at, at whatever level that you're able to, to do that. Um, and those are the ways to make a difference in the world. I, you know, I just think the, the, the very thing I was just talking about, the fact that people are saying, no, like when I, when I buy something, I, I, you know, I, I, everything, every little thing helps. Um, every little thing makes a difference. Uh, and um, uh, I think, I just think that's what, where we are in the, in the investment world as uh, with uh, the demand and, and interest in sustainable investing and on politics, you know, let's geez, like 
how effective has the political system been at, at being responsive to uh, people's concerns? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a system that's, um, that's uh, let's just say it's not working very well. We'll leave it at that because otherwise we could, we could, we, we could divert uh, off into politics for our entire time. But um, it, it, it only makes sense to me that, uh, um, that issues like, uh, inequality, uh, diversity, uh, equity and inclusion, and not to mention, which I now will mention, climate change uh, are, are not necessarily issues that should only be addressed uh, through the political system, um, but could be actually uh, addressed in other areas in ways that'll, that are much more, if not effective, then, then at least they're making progress in, in these areas. So when consumers are saying to companies, uh, we're not buying this project, this product of yours, because uh, be, because you know you're a polluter. There's plastics going in the ocean, whatever. You know that's that can be as more and more people do that. That can be just as effective um, uh, for a, a company as uh, as a regulation. You, you know, I, I don't think it's an either or. I don't think it's uh, people saying. Oh, forget about uh, the political system. We're going to just try to um, apply these uh, our concerns uh, in the investment realm. It's just them saying, "Look, um, as we invest, we want to invest sustainably, and 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 there's an in, there is an impact to that. And the impact, I think, has been um, quite interesting so far. In that, listen, five years ago when we really first started emphasizing ESG in in, in my uh, role at Morningstar, um, there are a lot of companies out there, public companies. I had to kind of explain to them what, what ESG even stood for. Um, you know, it was not, it was, it was a puzzle to them. Today, um, it, it's astounding to me how, uh, how thoroughly uh, public companies of every shape and size uh, understand ESG, take it seriously, and for the most part, see it as something that's going to be embedded in the way they do business going forward. We, we've done a lot of work, John, uh, around research around diversity, equity, and inclusion at, at FlexShares. And um, as you were talking about that, I thought like 2020, what a watershed year for, on, on so many levels, but especially uh, on DE&I. And uh, we did a follow-up survey of high net worth investors. And, and more than half of these high net worth investors said that they, they ask when they're going to, to find a financial advisor, whether or not that firm has a commitment to DE&I. And uh, that, that was uh, a number that surprised me, but I think it's indicative of all that you were just saying. Yes. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's just something that people that have been um, particularly, you know, uh, uh, and you, you said high net worth. I mean, that would typically be uh, people that have been involved at some level in um, perhaps the corporate world, corporate decision making. And, and I mean, I'll just say it straight out. I mean, I'm, you know, uh, of, a, of an age where, and, and a white male where um, I've spent many years working in settings where everyone at the table was a white, another white male. And now I'm working in settings where, you know, it, it, we have a very diverse group at the table and it is just better. I will just say it straight out. It's, it's, it's a better conversation. It's, it's, um, it's, it's uh, different perspectives being brought to bear. 
And I think better decisions come out of that and that, that people are more and more starting to understand that. So I could go on and on on that topic, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to veer back into what we came here to talk about. Um, And that is, as we're talking to advisors, um, the constant objection, which has been echoed for years now, is that I would never put my clients in sustainable funds or whatever they're calling them ESG or SRI funds because it's not in their best interest. They'll have to give up return potential in order to invest that way. And of course, there's no guarantee that any investment will produce a, a positive return. However, there's also not a guarantee that certain investments will always underperform, which I think is where the mindset of so many advisors are on this topic of sustainability. And What I've heard is um, that traditional investments are the right thing because of that performance issue. And I'm I'm curious just to get your thoughts around that and how do we finally break that down? Because there's data that proves it, but we just can't seem to get people to really believe it. Yeah, Uh, so much here. Um, so uh, I guess the, the first thing I w- will say is, look, I, I get it. The last thing a, a financial advisor wants to do is put their invest their clients into a underperforming investment. Um, and you know, there are all there are all these other things that that come with a, a, a financial advisor relationship, and the investments are the ones where you know typically the client looks to the advisor for the uh, recommendation. And it, it, a lot of the other things you do with an advisor is back and forth, given your uh, your, your various financial goals and, and situation and so forth. So they really, I, I can, I understand that it's, that it's a, um, a, a difficult question for them. Um, but the facts are, and the facts have been for a long time that, that the sustainable funds uh, on the whole Perform just as well as any other uh, type of uh, funds, and I say funds because you know for the most part this is what we're talking about. But I think that that uh, other types of strategies and approaches as well, or, or vehicles as well, it's it's the same story. Um, we just put out um, a sustainable funds landscape report for the covering the U.S. For, uh, uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, and just a couple of notes from that. Um, uh, of all the sustainable funds in the U.S. universe, um, 54% of them last year outperformed their category. So, you know, sort of average by definition, only about 50% would uh, outperform a category average. Um, but for the um, the trailing three years and five years, um, about 75% of sustainable funds in the U.S. have outperformed their category peers. So, that, that's a fairly significant uh, 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 result right there. And, and um, even if you look at, if you drill down, here, here was something we found interesting from the landscape report. Um, if we looked at um, uh, large cap blend funds, like you, in the you know, U.S. large cap uh, core uh, investments, um, the sustainable uh, funds in that group uh, Two thirds of them outperformed uh, the U.S. market index, so like the S and P 500. Um, only about 54 percent of other funds 
uh, did. So, so that's quite an interesting gap. But then if you go like to the three-year numbers, 56% of sustainable large cap blend funds in the U.S. have outperformed the category index. Only 21% of the category as a whole have done that. So there's a lot of evidence. Uh, so uh, what do I take from all that? I, I do not take the, from that that, oh, to the contrary, ESG or sustainable funds always outperform. We, no one wants to say that, but um, the evidence is, is quite strong that they can perform at least as well as conventional funds. And it's really been that way for a long time. Look, these are much more um, sophisticated uh, approaches than they used to be back in the day when they, uh, I think, uh, got the reputation as being underperformers. In those days, really the only uh, thing that, that uh, like a socially responsible fund did was exclude companies based on products uh, that were objectionable. And a lot of this goes to tobacco because it was a time when a lot of people were saying, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to profit from tobacco uh, right at the same time when tobacco was profiting. <laughs> so yeah. it would, would uh, it would create some gaps in portfolios, but in this day and age, uh, there's so many uh, ways that um, uh, sustainable investments um, uh, approach the whole topic uh, that it's just not hard to find uh, funds that are very strong performers as well as those that kind of fit within uh, a typical advisor's, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of standards for what types of investments that they would uh, put their uh, clients in. The other thing I would just say um, about it is that I, I hear from a lot of advisors who have emphasized sustainability in their practice that they are surprised that not very many clients bring up the performance concern. And that to me squares with an observation that I have, which is that a lot of end clients, when they think about performance, they're thinking about performance within the ballpark of, <laughs> you know, an index standard or something like that. They, you know, we at Morningstar get all caught up over whether a fund outperforms its inde the index by 50 basis points or, or percent, you know, 100 basis points or, or lags by that much. But a, a lot of typical investors, as long as you're generally, you know, able to uh, achieve the, the, the performance that uh, you know, the, the, of an index or, or a, uh, whatever kind of standard you're using, uh, it's usually okay with them. So by all those uh, standards, I think there's just really no issue with, um, with uh, sustainable investing performance. They're not always going to outperform though. In fact, early returns this year are not good uh, for, for sustainable funds. And it's, it's like the first time in, in quite a few years that that's happened, but uh, we'll see how the year shakes out. So, you know, thanks for that. And we'll we'll put a link to that Morningstar report uh, in the show notes where you can dive in and get all the specifics of that. But I think you're you're spot on. I mean, people just want to know that they have enough to fund the personal goals they're seeking to perform. And a basis point here or there isn't going to move them away if they're achieving the the personal goals of sending their kids to college or retiring and and whatnot. Yes, I agree. So, John, let's, uh, we're going to take a step back because I know that Morningstar has evolved 
into sustainable investing and you're, the firm has begun to put uh, much more emphasis on it. So what has been your role in building that out? And can you describe the evolution of the firm? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's, an, it's, a, you know, it's a pretty good story. For, for years, I was, I've been interested in this area really since I first joined Morningstar in mm. the, way back before the turn of the century. And, uh, but, <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll say very uh, immodestly, but, but that, that I was the resident expert for a while, for quite a while on this at Morningstar, but mainly because no one else was particularly interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, along about um, uh, 2015 or so, 2016, I'd been, you know, continued to follow it. And I was in our investment management team. We were running fund to funds portfolios and we had a couple of clients where we picked uh, ESG managers, and I, I was really struck by the the difference between what was being called at that time ESG or sustainable investing versus the SRI portfolios. You know, of the 1990s, they had become much more uh, robust, much more um, data driven, um, and much more focused around this idea that really what we're trying to do with ESG metrics is is um, gain additional perspective into how well a company is uh, uh, operating um, and how well it's uh, uh, dealing with its key stakeholders. And, and there's not a really very long line uh, to, you can, to, to draw from that to materiality. And, and so the, the watchword at that time really was like, we think using ESG metrics and better insights um, can actually uh, help analyze companies. Uh, help us analyze companies as investors that maybe traditional investors focused solely on, you know, financial statements. Um, you, you know, might not might not have as great of an insight in. And and so um, I, I was talking to a guy who was uh, runs a big a big institutional asset owner. Let's say he had almost uh, twenty billion dollars at the time, and he was telling me. Yeah, we are asking our managers to move towards ESG uh, in our portfolios, but we don't have really any way to tell. They're telling us they're doing it, but there's not like the data. We don't have any way to do it. And so I thought, hmm, that's an interesting idea. We have, uh, I know that there are companies out there who are um, uh, providing ESG ratings of public uh, companies. so what what if we got a hold of some of that data and just uh, looked at fund portfolios and kind of rolled it all up on an asset weighted basis? What would that tell us about funds? It seems like to me it would tell us, you know, some that some funds are have at least have portfolios that are more um, sustainable, quote unquote, than others. And so mm. that was really the 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 gist of it. Uh, it was really kind of this just idea for a. A sustainable uh, uh, sustainability uh, uh, rating for funds um, that brought us to get so so it got the go ahead for that to develop that and um, that brought us together with Sustainalytics, which was the vendor basically that we that we hired to provide our ESG data and um, the the relationship uh, with Sustainalytics just continued to grow over the years as well as um, interest in 
ESG, it was kind of a burgeoning uh, field uh, from 2016 on. And before we knew it, we had another, another ESG initiative and a carbon risk initiative. And, and in 2020, we acquired Sustainalytics. And so now ESG has just uh, become infused in everything that we do at Morningstar. And it's really, it goes back to the kind of founding purpose and, and the continuing purpose and mission of the company. It's it's really, we want to provide investors with the kind of uh, research and analytics and, and data that, that they need to make the better investment decisions, the ones that will help them reach their financial goals. And we're sitting here seeing uh, so many investors uh, now interested in and, and wanting to pursue sustainable investing that we really felt like we needed to address that. Uh, and so that's that's kind of it and more or less of a nutshell. <laughs> and in fact, your Morningstar has created the Morningstar Sustainable Investing Framework. And I think it mm-hmm. should be helpful because we continue to talk to advisors and investors and they still say, ah, confusion around exactly what sustainable investing is. This framework, can you tell us a little bit about it and why advisor investors actually should understand it before committing to ESG investing? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, and thanks for asking about it. I, I mean, I think uh, if I were uh, an advisor I, I, that wants to get up to speed on sustainable investing, I would read that framework mm. first thing uh, because um, you, you know I think what we tried to do in there is say is a, you know very basic. How do you understand investor motivations? We've already talked about it, uh, and that is that just simply more and more people today have sustainability concerns that they want to apply to various aspects of their lives, including their investments. It, what does that mean? It means that they it means logically that they would want their investments to take into account things like climate risks and and other sustainability risks so to, in a way that would improve their investment returns at least theoretically right um, and then they might also want this extra sustainability benefit this impact uh, element that 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 uh, you know does where they can feel like we've put our uh, money in a place that is you know where it's doing its part to to try to make a difference in the world and that's how to understand investor motivations. But then I think the key point of the of the framework is then you know how to match those expectations up with um, with the funds that are out there and and so we we say you know thinking of sustainable funds there's two broad types of sustainable funds there's kind of a general ESG focused fund that that could could substitute for uh, most conventional funds in major asset classes and sub asset class you know US large cap small cap um, emerging markets uh, corporate bonds etc um, but even uh, underneath the hood there for them from those type of for those types of funds uh, there's six at least six but we've identified six specific approaches to sustainable investing that uh, a fund might employ and and so I, I think it really lays out clearly this idea that hmm okay sustainable, uh, investing is not all completely just one thing. It's not like about where one you know S and P five hundred fund is exactly like the next S and P five hundred fund. Sure. It's it's a it's a range, um, and and they might mix and match approaches. Um, some do a very basic approach where they just you know exclude a few things. Others use a few exclusions, and then they also 
um, use ESG metrics very heavily to, um, to, to, to sort of address ESG risks on the one hand and identify opportunities on the other. Other funds focus, uh, add in um, impact to that, like, oh, you know, we assess the impact of companies before we, we, uh, we put them in a portfolio. Um, there's a thematic approach that really, you know, emphasizes Things like uh, you know renewable energy or electric vehicles or things like that. So there are different approaches that you can identify with funds, and yeah, we we'd love to see advisors uh, picking up on that framework, and we're really making a push too for asset managers to look at it and say, huh, can this be the a way for us to better explain what we're doing to. Uh, to investors as well, so I, I think it, along with our landscape report, it would be the 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 the, the second piece uh, for folks uh, listening to the podcast here to to take a look at, uh, and I think it will really help uh, get a feel for what's uh, what's going on in this uh, in this uh, world of sustainable investing. So, John, I, if you would uh, look into your crystal ball. And I'd, I'd love to see what you see in there for the next decade. Do you, do you think like the adoption of sustainable investing will continue to grow uh, in our space? And do you think it'll be client driven or advisor driven? Well, here's the thing. It, at one level, it will be um, asset manager driven um, because what we're finding as we talk to asset managers and and you know we have our whole manager research operation globally that 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 does this ESG is is becoming really firmly embedded in virtually every asset manager um, as at least part of what they do it doesn't mean that that they all are going to be offering only sustainable investments or uh, funds where there's this intentionally central focus on sustainability. But what it does mean is that for more and more just simply conventional investments or what we would think of as that today, um, there's an ESG component to that, which is basically going to be looking at companies and saying, do they have any significant ESG-related risks that we need to really understand uh, before we invest in those companies. And then on the broader engagement front and, and voting on proxies and things like that, um, are, are there things that we as asset managers are going to um, express uh, uh, to these kinds of companies uh, about what we think they ought to be doing? So, you know, a lot of even conventional asset managers today are, are starting to vote proxies on resolutions uh, uh, pushing companies to uh, to um, establish net zero uh, climate em- or carbon emissions goals and things like that so we're gonna all I, we're definitely going to see that infused throughout the in- investment world so um, even if you're not an investor or an advisor that's particularly interested in like sort of intentionally sustainable investments it's going to be there at that level I think uh, from here, you know, on into the foreseeable future. I think uh, as to whether, you know, interest in sustainable funds will be client driven or advisor driven. I, I think, I think both because um, one, it's the intergenerational transfer of wealth. I mean, we we consistently find that younger investors, also female investors are more interested, or at least traditionally have been more interested in sustainable investing. So as wealth transfers more and more to these 
uh, emerging <laughs> investors, so to speak, um, you know, that's going to be their interest. And but the same is true with advisors of uh, uh, advisors who really get the new generation of investors. I think are going to be able to play or, or, or help drive drive it too. So I think it'll be a, a you know both sides kind of uh, uh, spurring even even greater uh, growth rather than one or another. Well, John, time really does fly when you're having <laughs> a good time, and we have we always love talking to you, but. Each episode, we try to close up and leave our advisors with some actionable ideas that they can put into play right away. So I'd love to get your closing thoughts on two things. First, for advisors that want to explore sustainable investing, what steps should they take to educate themselves? And then a layup for you, how can Morningstar help? Yeah, so I, we've already kind of mentioned these two documents. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I would read our the sustainable investing framework and our latest landscape report. You're in and of them, in and of themselves, I think you'll you'll find that uh, you you'll feel up to speed <laughs> on what's going on there. We, the other thing is that Morningstar, we now have a ton of ESG metrics uh, now available to help advisors specifically. Uh, our analysts now cover uh, more, way more uh, sustainable funds than they used to. Um, there's uh, there's probably. Uh, I mean, a couple of dozen anyway that that, that are highly recommended by analysts. Uh, um, just and and that's on the same criteria they use to record to 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 award analyst medals. You know, to to any fund, um, we have a what we call our ESG commitment level assessment, which uh, uh, goes asset manager by asset manager and fund by fund to really assess. Like, okay. Here's what they're doing on uh, related to ESG, and here's uh, how well we think that, or how uh, extensive we think that commitment is. Um, so we have a lot of ESG metrics. We're going to have impact metrics coming out this year, uh, as well as more climate-related metrics. Um, and then I just on an ongoing basis. I mean, I, I have a column every Friday that I, I, you know, it's kind of aimed at end, end investors, but I'll just say. I have an advisor in mind usually when I write. So uh, we do that every Friday. We've just hired um, Leslie Norton, who's a brilliant uh, writer from Barron's, who is also just ongoing writing about um, sustainable investing and uh, companies that are, you know, why sustainable uh, investors consider this company a better one than this one. Those kinds of things that just get into an ongoing cadence of, of reading that's all available on our, on our website at morningstar.com. Well, John, you've offered us such great information and it has been a real delight for Laura and I to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me, folks. If you're an advisor and would like to know more about John Hale, you can either visit morningstar.com, of course, or you can go to his blog. It's medium.com slash at John F. Hale. So I'll take a minute. That's medium.com slash at symbol J-O-N-F-H-A-L-E. This will be available in the show notes as well as the other documents that we spoke of during the podcast. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. 
click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters. Please remember that all investments carry some level of risk, including the potential loss of principal invested. They do not typically grow at an even rate of return and may experience negative growth. As with any type of portfolio structuring, attempting to reduce risk and increase return could, at certain times, intentionally reduce returns. An ESG investment methodology that includes and excludes issuers and assigns weights to issuers by applying non-financial factors such as ESG factors, such ESG investment methodology may underperform the broader equity market or other investment products that do or do not use ESG investment criteria. An ESG investment methodology will influence exposure to certain companies and sectors. Currently, there is a lack of common industry standards relating to the development and application of ESG criteria, which may make it difficult to compare an ESG investment methodology with an investment strategy of another investment product or funds that integrate certain ESG criteria. The subjective value that investors may assign to certain types of ESG characteristics may differ substantially from that of an ESG investment methodology or a data provider. Not all FlexShares ETFs have an ESG focus. For more information on which FlexShares ETFs have an ESG focus, please visit FlexShares.com.